Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a code for Sherm Credit. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker, and I'm here with... Hey, everybody. Jared Bocutt's with you. Hey, everyone. Adam Compton. Oh, man, we're excited for today. Rolling into 2022 as we continue to go down our self-funded roadmap and uh, uh, loop in this concept and topic around population health. We are eager and excited to welcome our special guest, uh, Avenue, in just a second as we kind of dive deeper into this inherent need that employers have to kind of look at what employees and their families need in these tough, tough times. So we'll turn it to you. And Avenue, we are excited to have you, a teammate here at Brown & Brown, part of our population health team. Thanks, Adam. I'd uh, love to have you just kind of throw your hat into the ring. Tell us a little bit about what you do and as we get launched into the world of population health. Great. Thanks, Adam. Great to be on on Benefits Breakdown. So I'm Avenue Fortingo. Um, population health strategist, population health consultant here with Brown & Brown. Uh, my background is in public health, health promotion, health policy and management. And prior to joining Brown & Brown, I spent 10 years at a global consulting firm working with leading employers to design, develop and deliver high-performing population health strategy. So I am absolutely thrilled to be part of the Brown & Brown population health team. In terms of what we do, so our team is made up of fair, of many talented and experienced um, colleagues who dedicate themselves to improving the health and well-being of our clients' employees. Um, our consultants have a very diverse set of backgrounds and experiences. We have physicians, nurses, public health practitioners like myself, actuaries, dietitians, health economists, and, and some business management experts. Our, our team consults on a very broad spectrum of topics for clients, so everything from well-being to clinical strategy to behavioral health, virtual care, digital health, global well-being, employee engagement, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on some of these uh, topics today, so great to be on. Well, I think uh, you just did what a couple of our employers and customers are doing with going, well, there's a lot in the industry, where to begin? So maybe that's a good place to transition. So, I mean, employers are taking this time, particularly in the pandemic and in the COVID world, to really rethink the meaning of what health and what well-being is in the midst of all of this. So, uh, what are you looking to see employers, or what do they what do they want? What do the employees want? What are they searching for? It's a great question, um, Adam. And I think um, the pandemic has certainly shown a really bright light on well-being. Um, I remember when well-being or wellness was seen as an element of total reward strategy. Now, I think well-being is really foundational, right, to total reward strategy. I think historically, you know, we've sometimes seen a, a bit of a disconnect um, between what employers are trying to achieve with their well-being programs and what employees really want. Um, I would say that disconnect in many cases um, was because uh, you know, sometimes the programs seem to be designed within the framework of, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? And so we saw, in, in some cases, low engagement in, in some of these programs. I think that's driven some of the employee sort of dissatisfaction when employees sort of look back and say, well, if you're trying to design something that engages me, start with me, right? Start with what my needs are, start with my perspective, start with understanding me 
ultimately, I'll say that em- employees want to be supported, Adam. They want to be listened to, and they they want to have well-being programs that deliver um, a really consumer-grade uh, um, experience. Um, I think that's a significant opportunity, and and, and I, quite frankly, I think it's a worthwhile challenge for many employers because we're all trying to solve for this, right? Employers want their people to be healthy, happy, and productive, and employees um, just want to be supported. So I think we, we can certainly find some common ground. And I think the pandemic has opened up um, the opportunity for us to redefine what well-being means. And I think many employers are taking advantage of that. Avenue, as we talk about what employees or employers want, obviously there's two different approaches an employer can take, something that's going to produce an ROI with their health program or something that's going to be more promoting towards culture and recruitment or retention. What are you seeing in those two different avenues that are really driving an ROI versus something that's there just strictly for culture and really to help increase the morale of people coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, no, I I think... um as we sort of redefine what value means in terms of the, the the results that we're trying to get from well-being programs, I actually see some alignment between, you know, what we're trying to accomplish from a cost containment perspective, but also what we're trying to accomplish from sort of a VOI perspective as well, right, Jared? So um, in working with leading employers now, one of the um, sort of foundational um, guiding principles that we try to share with them is that you can design a well-being program that does both, right? You can design a well-being program that engages people and actually leads to cost containment in terms of changing how people engage with the healthcare system, but also, you know, changing lifestyle behaviors and ultimately changing risk. And then you can also design a program that leads to some VOI type metrics around employee engagement around employee productivity and also around employee satisfaction. Ultimately, I think that our our clients should have a measurement framework that can accommodate both ROI-related metrics and VOI-related metrics. For example, right now we're we're talking about the great great resignation. There's a strong correlation between employee well-being and employee retention, right? So having a, a measurement strategy that focuses on cost containment but one that also looks to how are we driving value from a business perspective when you look at other business metrics like, you know, staff turnover, even staff retention, that that's something that can be aligned. For sure. For sure. I would say, you know, from a a employer perspective, there's a lot coming at them in this space, right? Uh, There are a lot of great in innovative solutions uh, being introduced on the daily, right? We've also seen a lot of roll-up of different population health providers or platforms. Uh, what's latest, greatest thoughts there? It's hard for clients to mine, right? Where do we really find that VOI or those business metrics or, uh, you know, claims uh, ROI potential amidst this constant churn of innovation and, and where to invest our time, energy or otherwise? Yeah, Vanessa, I think I think you're asking me to stick my neck out there and and you know whip out the crystal whip out the crystal ball, but I, it it is it is a great question. I I think that one area that I think has been transformative, Vanessa, I think is virtual care, right, for employers, for and I sure. think it's one that when you just look at the data, we've seen um, employers expand, right, um, virtual care services, especially around mental health. 
but also when you look at areas like virtual fitness or even virtual coaching, right? And there's a few reasons why employers have maybe latched onto that. Um, one, we've also seen data that points to the fact that folks are more likely to engage, right? When you take away some of the barriers that exist around, okay, I don't have to drive maybe 50 miles, right, to see a child psychiatrist if I live in a rural area. I can simply pull up my app, right, and then simply connect with that provider. So I think virtual care is one that we're going to continue to see a lot more interest and I think a lot more adoption. Certainly the pandemic did not create many of the virtual care solutions that we have today, but I think it certainly accelerated the pace of innovation and the pace of adoption. So I do think there's value there. And that's something when you take virtual care as an example, Vanessa, that's something that you can measure its value in terms of ROI, right? So am I shifting cost um, from, from maybe more traditional settings to, to a virtual setting that could be more cost effective? And also, am I driving how higher value from a member engagement, member satisfaction perspective? So that speaks to that VOI perspective. But I, you know, I don't want to paint too glamorous of a picture here because right? I think the story is complicated. So when you think about even virtual care, while it is convenient, and accessible, I think many questions, right, still remain about its longer term sustainability when you think about quality and also when you think about overall cost effectiveness. So are people actually getting better? Um, but, and then when you also think about what reimbursement looks like for some of these programs in terms of how some of the major payers handle reimbursement, I think that's also something that employers should pay attention to. Yeah, I love that. I mean, certainly a trend we've seen uh, rapidly, rapid adoption, right, in testing and trying new models to engage members in this pandemic stretch. But you you make a really, really solid point when, you know, I think the reason for my my ask was that clients get overwhelmed. They're, they're getting calls every day. They're outreach. There's a lot of solutions. It's easy to fall into a, oh, this sounds great, you know, kind of trap. And, and we see it happen a lot, uh, not with all, you know, without lack of great intent, but it may not be the right plug and play solution. It may not work within their organizational, right, structure or, or, or well balanced with, with other goals. So data, I think, is often overlooked when employers are trying to, you know, plug and play something that seems flashy and seems fun. I just think it's a word of caution to really think about the needs. So we're not throwing a dart at the dartboard and hoping that it sticks um, as you're evaluating that cultural versus, right, reward, true reward long-term. That never happens, Vanessa. What are you talking about? They never just, we never just throw something up and say, come on, work, please work, please work. How many times do you get a call from a client? They're like, oh, we're putting in this great solution, right? And if you could see my face right now, it it could be a very great solution, but it may be all wrong for their industry or what we'd expect for adoption rates. And when it comes to fruition and and they're like, oh, bummer, that didn't work. We're like, well, you know, the data um, really should drive some of that decision-making. Now, clearly there's some really great news solutions that, as you've mentioned, Amadou, the data is yet to be tested, right, Mm -hmm. about the, you know, efficacy of certain platforms. So there's always going to be guinea pigs, um, but you just kind of have to understand where you want to be, right, on that investment continuum. So Mm -hmm. a lot of great work happening here, a lot of fun stuff happening here. I love that you pointed out the trends around that accelerated virtual care and digital health adoption, because I do think this is truly evolving that member experience uh, as we look to the future. 
Absolutely. Okay, so I do this every once in a while. I have these side hustles out there, Avenue. You, if you, my teammates here love when we do this. So Adam and I now work for Vanessa. Vanessa's tasked us to come up with a wellness or population health program. We're a mid-market company, and we come and talk to you. Where should we start? What, what should be our, our jump-off point? What should we be doing, focusing on? We're a, a, a gray-collar, very typical company, right? We have some blue-collar, some white-collar employees, and we're trying to find a program. Where should an employer start? I will go back, Jared, to what Vanessa just mentioned a few minutes ago, which is I would say start with the data. I feel like I need to have a you know, post-it note somewhere. <laughs> start with the data or a t-shirt. How about that? T-shirt. Start with the data. Yeah, you want my button? This yes. Data time. Data time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only right. our listeners could see literally just held up a button. Like you just have that at your, your druthers. It's great. Yeah. No, Jared, start with the data, right? I think um, there's lots that we can um, pull from in the beginning in terms of understanding the workforce. I go back to sort of understanding needs, preferences, baseline risk, engagement preferences, right? I think that's a really important step. And many times, unfortunately, we, we, we sort of skip over that step, right? But it's, it's crucial. In addition to starting with the data, I'd say talk to real people. Jared. So something that I think can be very beneficial and effective is having focus groups, um, listening sessions with employees and, you know, mid-level, senior-level management just to understand, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you guys think? What's going to work? I find that you learn a lot from those sessions because you get sort of an immediate um, spontaneous feedback from some of the managers or even employees who tell you flat out, here's what we're dealing with on a day-to-day. Here's, my, here's what my job looks like. Here's why that's not going to work. Here's why this may work. And I think coupling those insights, right, with the data can paint a really sort of good baseline picture of the opportunity and what we're trying to solve for. Yeah, but it's almost like you want to cook dinner and you have this great concept of right. something that's going to come out. But until you understand the recipe and how to actually cook something right. a certain way, you're going to have two very different outcomes. So it sounds like you just want to say pause, step back, and you might have to invest a bunch of time into it, but right. the time will get you whatever return of investment you're looking for or outcome that actually does something for your team. Right. Absolutely, Adam. And, and then, you know, in addition to that sort of data and, and listening step, I would also say creating some sort of a conceptual framework, right, for what you're trying to accomplish with the well-being program, Jared, I think is helpful. So take the data, take the insights, and then spend an hour or so just saying, well, what does well-being or wellness mean to this, you know, mid-sized company, right? What are we trying to accomplish? What does having a high-performing wellness program look like? And I think you'll find that the definition, right, in terms of priorities sometimes varies by workplace culture. It varies by industry. It varies by, you know, again, what that organization is trying to do. The, the underlying sentiment, quite frankly, having done this for so many clients, is that employers care about their people, right? That's just the baseline sentiment. In terms of how they design and deliver the programs that leads to the most impact, that piece may differ. 
that I think it's really important to first understand those sentiments and then build from there. Vanessa, I mean, Avenue sounds like he knows, are you going to fire us or Adam and I going to keep a job? <laughs> Is this going to be what you're looking for? I yeah, mean- I mean, certainly <laughs> it would get us on the right path. I think the hard part is then where do we go from there, right? And, mm-hmm. and having a really great partner to mine through like the BS, quite frankly, and, and what's mm-hmm. really going to shine based on those goals is overwhelming for employers in today's yeah. market. And we think about pop health, the the magnitude and the power of that statement alone can cover so many facets. I mean, think about just trends in mental health, right? Go so ahead. much focus there today by an employer. Let's say my data shows me that I need to address mental health, or maybe it's MSK. You know, musculoskeletal claims continue to lead the pack on on ongoing claim activity. Maybe it's, you know, cancer-related diagnosis. Maybe my population, you know, is their average age is is higher than the next, and, and our needs are going to be different. The data will tell a different story. Our people will tell a different story. Then where do we go from here? And some of these topics have, there's not a golden key or ticket, right, to solve. However, there are amazing platforms to help walk alongside, right, Mm -hmm. that employee experience that I tell you speaks volumes. And how do I differentiate, right, there becomes my next question. Once I've identified those needs, where do I go? Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a great point as well, because I think what what I caught um, from what you just shared, Vanessa, is sort of this... um, word of caution to that putting in a new vendor isn't always right the answer and obviously we have many employers who are cost sensitive right now at this point right in terms of spending more on 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 health benefits so sometimes the answer really lies in that in- employee experience as you articulated and i think it 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 helps to take a step back to say what's our communication strategy How are we integrating all of these solutions? How are we designing the overall benefits? Sometimes that yields, right, the desired end result. Um, And a desired end result that may even turn out to be better than one that you would have seen if you simply just swapped out vendors. But I I think sometimes there's joy in in working through the pain with your existing vendors and figuring out the right (laughs) solution, right? You know, those situations certainly happen. That really relies on building an employee experience, building an engagement strategy um, that works. You know, sending out a postcard once a year about a specific program is not a communications or engagement strategy, right? So it, it takes the work. Um, as well, just to do that. Can I go back to our fake company that we had? Because <laughs> I think this often comes up with discussions of who's going to be a part of this rollout. So Vanessa is our executive is um, where I'm trying to get to in a really bad jokey type of way is that often we need to include multiple levels of the, of the organization. And mm-hmm. I think just kind of hearing you say that and, and, and affirming that we need to have our C-suite, we need to have people that are living day-to-day on the floor, sharing messages of what would be impactful. So we have that strategy as well as what people will value. So how does that look like when you go to those employers and you you, you might be talking to a CHRO or HR manager and you, you say, well, we have to push up and push down to get all levels of this organization on board with this with the strategy? It certainly varies, right, Adam, as you can imagine, um, by organization. But I, I think that sort of the the pandemic and you think back around early days of the pandemic and sort of employers initial response to the pandemic i think is a perfect example 
of how you can bring stakeholders from different parts of the organization to respond. So I remember in the early days of the pandemic, um, one of the leading questions for employers was, okay, so are we testing? Are we not testing? When are folks going back to work? And there was a lot of work that we all did as consultants that fell under the umbrella of, quote unquote, returning to the workplace, right? And what I found with most organizations was that you know, the benefits of the HR department in many cases didn't own that decision, right? In terms of, are we testing? Are we not testing? When are we coming back to the workplace? To your point, Adam, it was sort of a cross-function of all of these different, you know, teams within the organization, risk management, um, you know, um, facilities, all of these folks, HR, all of these folks, occupational health, coming together to say, what, what does our strategy look like? I think as we look forward, um, and think about you know high performing well being strategies. I again prefer to nudge my clients towards bringing other stakeholders into the conversation when when it comes to employee well being. Right, um, bringing other folks you know even from the marketing department, from occupational health, from HR to say what do we want our well being strategy to be, and then um, having all of those perspectives be reflected in the final product. Changing gears just a little bit, and we mentioned it earlier about mental health and some of the, the trends that are going on there. I think this is something we'd be reminisced if we didn't really talk about and focus on for a few minutes. Abney, when we look at a total well-being package that's being offered by our employers, what are you seeing that's really having an impact in this space? And what can employers focus on that can really help their employees? Because we talked before we jumped on and, and started um, recording, this is a real struggle that's going on. People are struggling yeah. every single day and they're looking for help. And what can employers do to offer that? And what are you seeing that is moving the needle there? Absolutely, Jared. And thanks for bringing that up. Because I, th I think that does require some special emphasis of focus. So I recently wrote this white paper about behavioral health reimagined in 2020, co-wrote this white paper with Dr. Joel Axler, our um, behavioral health practice leader. And we touch on a few areas right in that white paper, Jared. We talk about some of the epidemiological trends that we're seeing around behavioral health, right? The significant increase in behavioral health need um, that we've seen during the pandemic, whether that's anxiety, depression, or just substance use. We also saw from the data that while everyone is feeling disrupted, when you look at just, you know, children, um, youth, and young adults, they are um, even more disrupted, right? Um, disproportionately affected by by the pandemic when it comes to their mental health. So what can employers do? That's that's a great question, right? Employers can start by assessing what the baseline um, needs are of their population. So one of the questions that I like to um, ask my clients is, you know, do you know what percentage of your employees are struggling with depression? anxiety or what percentage of your employees have a behavioral health related claim. And even just looking at that claim number, I usually put that number in perspective to say the claim number, when you look at just behavioral health claimants, probably significantly underreports, right, the epidemiological need in your population. Because we know that something like 50 to 70% of people with a mental health condition don't seek any treatment. So I think it helps by just starting by understanding the magnitude of need in your population. The next thing that I like to really focus on is looking at the existing programs to say, are your existing programs and benefit delivering you know, adequate access to high quality mental health care? And do you have the resources and benefits in place? Um, to meet the needs of your people across the spectrum. 
And this this element of behavioral health on the spectrum is one that is really important because I think that you know the mental health spectrum or the behavioral health spectrum is really fluid, right? So one day I could be happy and everything is perfect in the world. Something may happen that evening and the next morning, right? I'm I'm really struggling, right? So maybe one day I just need a really empathetic coach. Maybe six months from now, I need to talk to a licensed therapist or even a psychiatrist, right? So it's important to think about the spectrum in terms of where your population falls, but also what types of programs and benefits you have in place. The third you know, area of opportunity that I like, I like to really focus on, Jared, is understanding how the workplace culture itself right, impacts mental health. One of the things that I've, I've noticed quite Quite, that I noticed quite quickly since joining Brown and Brown is just how um, proactive and, and visible um, our CEO, Powell Brown, is about mental health and about this topic and the fact that he talks about it, he communicates about it, he leads on it, right? And I think that is a significant, that, that is a significant opportunity for many organizations to have leaders who are visible and vocal about mental health, but also to have a workplace culture that um, is looking to destigmatize, right? How we talk about mental health, and then the last thing I'll end with in terms of the fourth opportunity is measurement. Again, I, I think data, <laughs> data is a theme throughout this conversation. I feel like I think the measurement piece is really important, right? Sort of measuring how your organization is is performing based on all of the things that you've put in place in terms of programs. Um, but also measuring um, what employee sentiment looks like in terms of whether they feel supported by the employer in terms of their mental health. You know, what's interesting is, is I would agree with Powell's engagement of us as teammates. Yeah. That's a skill that might also need to be shared with other executives as we coach to not just spend a message, but to do so in an empathetic way that people react to respond to. So I think sometimes the data can be there, but it's, that communication and that message isn't just an email or that one-time postcard and, and maybe just even how you say something. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Avenue and, and Adam, and frankly, Jared, for bringing this topic up in the first place. I mean, we see clients chase really amazing well-being programs, right, and make great investments that sadly can fall short because they lack, right, true top-down leadership on the topic. Right. Mm -hmm. The fact that you spoke to it yourself, that Paul Brown not only speaks about this in every single teammate all call message, but in fact, rode a bike from the East Coast to the West Coast or vice versa, I should say, um, and literally with the full intent of raising awareness and building funds to support mental health adolescent needs. It goes and speaks incredible volumes culturally. Now, certainly not every CEO is going to be up for that challenge, but I will say that changes the game when we think of cultural impact in a way that there's there's no program, right, on its own or standalone will likely resonate, right? So I think it's a perfect complement to the right programs driven by data great solutions. Maybe, you know, there are products that are amazing out there, but not over-productized as avenues just referenced, right? You have to make sure you have the right fit, right cultural goals, but echoing that with very visible, right, leadership engagement will take that to the next level. So I do think that's one that many employers, right, uh, struggle with. And I think it's really noteworthy as you're thinking about 
your organization's needs and who will, in fact, step up to that challenge because it is a big piece, right, uh, of, of how, you know, your outcomes may be, may be responding. So fun one. We're fortunate there. Avenue, thank you. I, I loved your answer, by the way. I loved you gave four actionable items and yeah. steps that employers can take and focus on and things that they can start with because this is something we all need to focus on, whether it's from the top down or the HR teams that they can get started and engage with the teammates. So thank you. And by the way, I've decided I'm going to get you a t-shirt that says, show me the data. Like you need something. Show me the data. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Avenue, you're doing great work um, with our clients and certainly appreciate you sending this very important message. Um, this is a need that all employers, right, really need to be tapped into and in tune with, um, not just for ROI, but for, right, total reward strategy and this crazy dynamic war on talent, right? It goes a long way. So thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. We appreciate everyone listening in today and look forward to hosting you for our next episode of the Benefits Breakdown. Take care and be well. Thank you so much for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. This episode, in combination with our previous episode titled The Ins and Outs of Self-Funding, is eligible for one SHRM credit. The code for SHRM credit is 22-4DVEC. That's 22 dash four d as in delta v as in victor e as in echo c as in charlie this code expires after december 31st of 2022 so thanks again for listening and please don't forget to rate review and subscribe and be sure to tune in to our next episode 